I knew I had blown it even as I was saying it. The genie was out of the bottle, the toothpaste out of the tube, the banana was out of its skin. There was no going back. You know that moment, don't you? When your mouth declares its independence and throws off the rule of your brain and launches torpedo words that will sink the ship of your life. (laughs) I try to catch those words uh, before they reach the ears of my conversation partner, but voices travel at 767 miles an hour and they weren't coming back. I should have known better. I did know better. In seminary, they spend years training you in what not to say. You attend classes to learn how to bite your tongue when a parishioner says something that makes you want to throw a fit, throw the furniture, or throw up. But in whatever profession you pursue, there are always those moments when your training lets you down and your unbridled emotions leap from the stable of your soul and gallop over the hedge to cause mayhem in your neighbour's field. It was over 20 years ago now, but the scars go deep. About a year earlier, I had begun my first job as a parish priest. I was the rector of two small villages in the heart of the English countryside. Think Vicar of Dibley, but more eccentric. (laughs) The villages bordered each other, but were completely independent and had nothing in common except a geographical boundary and me. They had their own lay leadership, their own councils, their own worship services and their own finances. So on Sundays, I would take a service at 9.30 in one village and then drive a mile to the other church to take an identical service at 11. Now the experts in church leadership say new pastors should not suggest any major changes during the first year in their new congregations. You lucky, lucky people. (laughs) And so for my first 12 months, I wondered to myself why these two villages lived separate lives. Each had their own events, customs and traditions, all without consideration of the other. And I thought to myself, in that pleasantly naive way that all newbies think, wouldn't it be good if we started to do some things together? So, feeling pretty pleased with myself for my exuberant ecumenical vision, at the end of my first year, I went to one of the wardens and said, hey, I've got this fantastic idea. Uh, You know how I'm vicar of both parishes, and you each get the same sermon each week and share a border and so on? Well, how about we have some joint activities? You know, it can open up all sorts of really good things for all of us. Now, to look at the warden's face, you'd think I'd just suggested burning an effigy of the Queen at the parish Eucharist. (laughs) He spluttered into his tea, looked at me with deep and pained indignation, and said, Oh, no, vicar, that would never work. You see, vicar, we were Saxon and they were Viking. And that's when I said it. (laughs) One thousand years is too soon. (laughs) 
voices travel at 767 miles an hour, faster than a torpedo and often as deadly. Voices travel at 767 miles an hour and wound and maim and kill. Voices travel at 767 miles an hour and all the world's missile defence systems won't stop them. Those voices may have launched many years ago but their devastation still scars the hillside. You'll never amount to much. You're not as smart as your brother. We have to let you go. I'm leaving. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words, well, words will slay me. This morning, Jesus shares with us a remedy, a way to heal the wounds and rebuild the lives devastated by torpedo words. It is the medicine that lowers our pulse rates, the potion that reduces our blood pressure, the balm that calms our minds, rejuvenates our spirits, brings peace to our hearts. But this is no ordinary medication. The gift of healing comes from giving. And not to just anyone, but the people who caused your pain The launchers of missiles, the droppers of bombs, the firers of torpedo words. Jesus tells his disciples the parable of the unforgiving servant. And it is shocking. There's the servant of a wealthy man who owes his boss 10,000 talents. Now, we need to understand something about Roman money here if we're going to get the full shocking impact of this parable. A day's work in Jesus' society was worth one denarius. And there were 6,000 denarii in one talent. So, to earn one talent, a man had to work 6,000 days. That's 33 years. So, one talent is 33 years' wages. Let's translate that into the minimum wage in New Jersey. That's $8.44 an hour, which is about $17,500 a year. So, work with me here. 33 years wages would be over half a million dollars in our money. So, one talent in Jesus' time was the equivalent of $580,000 to us. Now, the servant owes his master 10,000 talents. In other words, 10,000 times $580,000, which is $5.8 billion. You thought your credit card was high. <laughs> Jesus creates this absurd situation. It is impossible for this humble worker to begin to repay the slightest fraction of his debts. And in utter desperation, he begs his master to have mercy on him. And the master cancels the debt. $5.8 billion. How grateful would this servant be to be forgiven this amount of debt? Well, as it happens, not very much, really. As he leaves his master's presence, he sees a fellow servant who owes him 100 denarii, 100 days wages, $6,700. 
And this colleague falls on his knees and begs for mercy. Now, amazingly, even though he had just been let off a debt of 5.8 billion, the first servant is untouched by the cry for mercy of his co-worker who owes him a few thousand. And he has him thrown into the debtor's prison. I did warn you this was shocking. And the meaning of this healing parable is actually quite straightforward. God has forgiven us a massive debt. A debt impossible to repay. We don't have the means to make even a tiny dent in it. And the debt is the greed, the hate, the self-absorption that has hurt ourselves, harmed other people and damaged our friendship with God. So considering we have been excused this impossibly large debt, should we not then forgive the sins of other people that they've committed against us? Which by comparison are pretty puny. I call it a healing parable. Like disinfectant on an open wound, this stings to heal. It pains us to cure us. That's the thing about forgiveness. It's a remedy for the soul, but not the soul we think. I resist the command to forgive because I assume that it will make the person who wronged me feel better. That I will be facilitating their healing. But my instinct is wrong. It's not the person who hurt me who receives healing when I forgive. It's me. When you forgive, you are doing yourself a favour. You are pampering your soul, taking it to the spa for the day, for a massage, a facial and a pedi. Your soul will thank you because it will sleep better, focus more and be free from the obsession your enemy has become. That's what Dr. Robert Enright, a professor in developmental psychology at the University of Wisconsin and founder of the International Forgiveness Institute, has discovered. Enright developed therapies for helping elderly patients to forgive the people who had wronged them in the past with the theory that those patients would show stronger signs of emotional health and well-being at the end of their treatment than would a control group. And they did. And Dr. Everett Worthington of Virginia Commonwealth University has found that people who won't forgive the wrongs committed against them tend to have more stress-related disorders, lower immune systems, and worse rates of cardiovascular disease than the population as a whole. Remember Jesus' statement that it is more blessed to give than to receive? Nowhere is that more beautifully experienced than in forgiveness. Voices travel at 767 miles an hour, which means you can start to heal yourself now. It begins with three words. I forgive you, or her, or him. It's vital to begin with a decision, a level-headed, reasoned, clinical decision to utter those words and start your journey to health. Because forgiveness is not a sensation. If I wait for a warm, fuzzy feeling for my wrongdoer to wash over me before I forgive, I will wait until I die. So come on, take the medicine if you dare. 
Who knows? You may find your feelings for that person changing over time. But the key to that is uttering these three words. Like all medications, forgiveness can be misunderstood and misapplied. But read the instructions on the label. Forgiveness is not excusing your wrongdoer's actions, or letting them off, or denying the painful consequences for you, or pretending it was nothing. Take the medicine if you dare. Forgiveness is fully looking the wrong in the face and naming it for what it is. No excuses, no minimising, no denial. You can't forgive someone unless you actually recognise that they are guilty of doing something that needs forgiveness. That's the easy part of taking the medicine. That's just unscrewing the lid. The difficult part, the nauseating part, the hold your nose and swallow hard, then immediately eat something delicious to take the taste away part, is choosing not to let that pain influence how you treat your wrongdoer. Choosing not to hold it against them. Deciding not to call in the debt they owe you. To forgive, I must be willing to let go of my need to be God's instrument of correction in their life. Not denying my pain, but choosing not to hold on to their part in causing my pain. Take that medicine, if you dare. I said that forgiveness is a decision, but it's followed by a process. Like ringing a bell in a church tower, you can let go of the rope, but you might hear a few more dongs. The energy and the momentum of the pain can be so overwhelming that those dongs can persist for some time before gradually dying away. Take the medicine, if you dare. Someone who took the medicine and found her healing, was Maya Angelou. And she needed a lot of it. I won't distract you by describing the uh, childhood that she had to endure, but she healed herself by performing surgery on the word forgive. She took her scalpel and separated it into two words, for and give, and then she switched them. So instead of forgive, she created give for. Forgiving became giving for. When she forgave someone, she gave for them, literally. When Mary or Dave caused her an injury, she would make a casserole and take it to a random family who was struggling financially. She'd knock on the door and when someone answered, she'd say, I'm giving you this for Mary or Dave. I suspect that is what Paul meant when he instructed us to overcome evil with good. Is a thousand years too soon? No. Is a thousand days or hours or minutes? No, no and no. Take the medicine if you dare. Voices travel at 767 miles an hour. Utter words of forgiveness. Take your medicine and be healed. Amen.